Shame is something, you're amazing, by the way. Um, Shame is something that is universally felt, and I think it's something that we shy away from talking about, but something that's really important. So I want to, I actually, okay, to tell you the truth, I got a FaceTime call from my son this morning, Cooper. So he's sometimes known as number two. Um, if we forget their names, because there's four of them. So, like, you know, you sometimes forget. There's four kids. Like, they came in a pretty quick row. So, number two, Cooper, uh, was preaching. He's uh, doing studying theology down at Avondale, and he was preaching at their SALT program last night for their students. And he rings us up this morning, and he says, Oh, Mum and Dad, just to let you know, I used you, you know, stories of you in my sermon uh, last night. And I'm like, okay, well, you're... Like, you're telling us after you've done it. Like, you probably could have asked permission, but no, that's so fine. And I'm like, oh, that's fine. What, what were the stories about? And he's like, oh, Mum, I was doing a sermon on how you can trust people. You know, choose wisely who you can trust. And I talked about the story where you and Dad stood in front of Lockie, his older brother, when he was just a toddler on the bed, and you were both going, jump to me, jump to me. And you know how Lachlan chose to jump to you and you dropped him? Oh, that's the story I shared. Just to illustrate, you've got to be really careful who you trust. I'm like, Cooper! <laughs> and I said, well, that fits in really well because today I'm talking about shame and, like, that's real shameful, <laughs> like, to beg your child to jump to you and then when they finally choose you and reach out loving to your arms, you're, like, looking at them on the ground. But I want to preface today's sermon by this uh, amazing song. Some of you might have heard this before, and it's really powerful because it's not just a song that has just been created. It's a song that has been created out of people's stories, real life stories that are relevant to what we want to talk about today. So have a little look at this music clip. Verdict was guilty, case closed, the end. No chance for me to ever leave this prison of my sin. Now I know it might sound crazy, but one day a key unlocked that cell. I heard a small voice say your debt's been paid by somebody else. And now I'm walking, walking.
just up ahead Cause there is a Savior Who knows everywhere you've been And he's telling you that you man that you saw in this video had a long-standing addiction to heroin. He would say to you that there's not much that he hasn't done to try and maintain that addiction. But on his 82nd arrest, when he was in the jail, he met two chaplains. And two chaplains sat beside him and gently shared with him the gospel And when his sentence was over, he says he describes it as he walked out of that prison and took off his prison uniform. He said he also shed his shame and was able to then walk free and make a difference. Shame makes us hold on or become prisoners of secrets, struggles, situations that can harm us. It makes us want to hold up, hide away, shy away and not deal with what we think in ourselves is absolute rubbish. But our prayer over the next two weeks is that you will come to understand that there is no need for you to carry that any longer. That God offers a grace that is so beautiful and so forgiving that he wants you to walk with your shoulders back, held, head held high, and not shrouded in shame. And here's the thing, when we believe that God is truly for you instead of against you, which sometimes we can fall into the pattern of, you know, that God's just looking up there waiting for me to catch catch me out, or he's got this really big long list and he might forgive it when I say sorry once, but when I do the same thing again, it's like he just rolls it out and then it's all there. Sometimes that's the concept of God that we have. But over the next two weeks, we hope you understand that you can find freedom, that you have the freedom to live a new story, a different story, and find belonging even in the moments where you feel really vulnerable because that's the kind of God that we serve. What if we truly, truly believed that God was for us? What if we didn't see him in that negative light? And the story that we're going to have a look at today, I think sometimes we usually focus on one section, but there's another tiny little bit that I want to focus on today. But before we go any further, I'd love to pray together. So um, let's pray to God. Father God, we want to thank you so much that we get the opportunity to open your word today to discover anew what you have for us, how much you love us, how much you value us. 
and how you want us to live a life free of shame and guilt. And you don't want us to shy away from you. In fact, Lord, you pursue us to the very end. God, open our hearts and minds today. Give us wisdom and understanding. Help us to make this reading of your Bible relevant and purposeful in our lives. And help us to always remember that you want to be in an amazing relationship with us. In your name, amen. So it doesn't take long when you pick up your Bible to realize that shame enters really, really quickly. You can, we go to Genesis chapter one, so the first chapter in your Bible, and you see the creation of the world in chapter one. And chapter two, Adam and Eve, the first human beings are created. Um, But before we read it, I want to give you an opportunity, and I I mean to do this each week, and I keep forgetting, and I'm going to call on Neil, who just happens to be the filler today, and he's doing very well. Thank you, Neil. Over on the desk over there, I have two packets of Bibles that the conference office has gifted us. I just want to make it known. Now, I, during big camp, bought a new Bible. The reason why I bought a new Bible is... I had to purchase my very first large print book. I found that when I get up here and try to read from my Bible to you, with the lights and everything else that's going on, it's, it doesn't have anything to do with my age or my eyes. It's the lights and the dynamic of the stage. I find it really, really hard to read the tiny, tiny words. So I've bought a new Bible, but if you were to see my old Bible, it, it It is my toolkit. It has sticky notes all over it. It has writing all the way through it. It has highlighting all the way through it. And we want to offer you each week, if you would like a Bible to do that with, then Neil will happily deliver one to you this morning. You can keep it. He's even got some highlighter pens there. So if you want to make some notes. So um, while we're looking up Genesis chapter 3, if you want one of those Bibles, just make eye contact with Neil or give him a wave. And, and that's something we want you to keep. We want you to write in it. We want you to take notes. There's so many things that I would have forgotten if I hadn't been able to open up my Bible and went, oh yeah, that's the quote I really liked. Or, oh yeah, that's, that's the words that he used and I really wanted to highlight. So if you want one of those and you want to highlight a pen, you can keep both. Make them your toolkit. So from here on in, you know, if someone asks you a question, you're like, oh my goodness, I don't know that. But oh yeah, I took notes on that last week and, and that gave me an idea. That's what I do. Um, fill it up. Make it used and rough. So yeah, make eye contact with Neil. He'll hand them out to you and we'll give them over. So we want to go to Genesis chapter 3. And we're going to look at verses 1 to 13. So shame greets us early on in Scripture. We see the creation of God and his people. And we we are introduced to Adam and Eve. And in Genesis chapter 2 verse 25, we see Adam and Eve described there as Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. They were in a vulnerable situation, but they were safe. They felt shame, no shame. They weren't even aware of their nakedness. It wasn't an issue. And then very quickly, things start to deteriorate. It's a bit like, have you ever been inside a messenger chat and all of a sudden everything's going really, really well and then someone says something really awkward in the chat and you can see that everyone's viewed it but no one's chatting after that. 
It's like shame has emptied the group chat and now things have changed for forever. We have to navigate how we move from here. What do we say next? How do we move from here? So follow along with me. Get your pen out if you want to highlight anything. We're going to read chapter 3, verse 1, down to verse 14. It starts like this. Very easy to read in my large print. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman, Eve, said to this serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent says to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them are opened, and they realize they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called out to the man, "'Where are you?' He answered, "'I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid.'" Because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. And then the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. They went from being naked and absolutely unashamed to sneaking and hiding away and covering themselves and avoiding their God, who they walked with routinely every evening, were in relationship with. The story of humanity's fall is probably not new to you, and I know that I've been in a few sermons where they've kind of taken the route, man, Eve. Let's just blame you. Why didn't you do all that? But we're not here to lay blame today. We're here to understand the concept of what happens after you've made that mistake. What happens in us and how does God respond to that? He was crafty. It says it there right at the very start. The serpent was crafty. And if we want to have a, an understanding or maybe an identity of who this serpent is, we can turn over to Revelation 12, 9, and it says there, it makes it clear, it says, so the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to earth and his angels were cast out with him. In, in a book called The Story of Patriarchs and Prophets, This snake is described this way, no longer free to stir up rebellion in heaven, Satan's enmity against God found a new field 
in plotting the ruin of the human race. In the happiness and peace of the holy pair in Eden, he beheld a vision of the bliss that to him was now lost forever. Moved by envy, he determined to incite them to disobedience and bring upon them the guilt and the penalty of sin. He would change their love to distrust, their songs of praise to reproaches against their maker. Thus, he would not only plunge these innocent beings into the same misery that he was in himself enduring, but would also cast dishonor and call upon God and cause grief in heaven. So let's have a little book, little look, we'll just like verse by verse. So verse one and two, we see the serpent coming to Eve here, the snake, just trying to incite a little bit of distrust in God trying to just ask little innocent questions that might be pointed to making you believe differently, start questioning the integrity of God. Did he really say you couldn't eat of any fruit? Just getting Eve to just subtly rethink her loyalties, rethink who she wants to be tied to or, or what she wants to be tied to. And then Eve kind of counteracts and says, no, 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 no. And she explains God's instructions. And then the snake comes again and casts doubt on, not this time on God's love, but his integrity of his word. And the snake says to Eve, you won't surely die. Like, you actually believe that? Like, you believe that God said you'd surely die? <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's so cute. You believe that God, he, you won't die? God just doesn't want you to eat this because he doesn't want you to be like him. It's not a bad thing that you're avoiding it. It's actually, like, it's going to be great. You're going to be equal to God. So the serpent tries to get her to doubt the integrity of God's word. And in her belief, Adam and Eve eat the fruit. It happens. And then we see the moment where they realize that what God said was true. And they realize what had happened. And they noticed, became aware of their nakedness. Something that had never even entered into their consciousness before was now right in front of their eyes. And so they sewed fig leaves together to cover their shame of their nakedness. So what I want to do before we go any further, I want to ask you a really, really personal question. And I don't want you to respond to me. I want you to just respond to yourself. And I'm going to give you a moment to think about it. Now, when I think about things in my life that I have been ashamed of, I mean, there's a few light little ones, like I cut my Barbie doll's hair, um, and I wasn't allowed. I got in trouble for that. I know that there's been times where I have been unable to look in someone else's eyes because I know, and even they might not even know, but I know I've wronged them, and I have to live with that shame. All of us have been in moments where we feel ashamed. But my question to you, and take a moment to come up with it, my question is, what are you hiding behind your fig leaf? 
It's just for you. What are you hiding that gives you an element of shame? It might be that you, something that you want to hide from your God, something that you want to hide from your family, something that you just try to forget yourself and wish you'd never, never could even recall it. A lot of us, universally, we walk around holding on to shameful things and often never disclosing them. And the weight gets really heavy. So my question to you is today, because I think, what's the point of going further into this story and understanding how God wants to break the hold of shame in our lives if we don't make it personal to us? So let's make it personal this morning to you. What is hiding behind your fig leaf? What are you trying to keep away from others? What are you trying to hide away from your God. And if you might be sitting there and going, well, actually, it's not me. I'm all G right now, so that's awesome. Then I bet you know someone else that has struggled with something. And I want you to move through the rest of this sermon going, how can I help them walk through this? If it's not me that is under a shroud, you know, or under the heaviness or weight of something shameful, then I want to learn this because I want to help someone else get that burden off their back. So what are you hiding behind your fig leaf? And we're going to go down, skip down to verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They knew it was his habit to come and meet them. And when they heard it, usually their natural response would be, yes, Lord God's down here again. We're going to go and walk with him. We're going to go and talk with him. I just want to spill over all the amazing stuff that we did today. And what, you know, what's he going to tell us today? What are we going to learn from him today? But this day, as a consequence of what had happened, they hid. They ran away. They chose to put distance between them and their creator God because of the shame that they were feeling. Shame, remorse, fear, and a sense of guilt are feelings that they had been strangers to up until now. They'd not experienced that before. But it led them to shun their God as he came Close to them. Fear and shame send us into hiding, but it's important that we all realize and remember no healing can happen in hiding. No healing can happen in hiding. And if you turn over now to Psalm 139, it explains to you this concept of don't hide. Nothing good can come of your hiding from your God. So Psalms 139. reads like this, a psalm of David. You have searched me, O God, and you know me. You know when I sit. You know when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all of my ways. Before a word 
On my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I hide from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of a dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. And it goes on and on to describe a God that loves you and knows you so intimately that there isn't somewhere you can hide from him. In fact, it's futile for you to even try. And yet it's our natural response to moments when we feel shame. And head back to chapter to Genesis chapter 3 and in verse 10. In verse 9 God has called out to them and in verse 10 Adam answers, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and so I hid. I was afraid. Adam says that he was afraid because he was unclothed, but he really fears the shame of appearing naked in God's presence. His awareness of that shame exposes his guilt. Before their disobedience, Adam and Eve never had any reason to be ashamed. There's a book called Soul Shame, The Soul of Shame, which is an amazing read if you, if you ever want to read it. It says, it describes shame like this. Shame is used as the emotional weapon that the devil uses. One, to corrupt our relationships with God and each other. The devil uses it as a tool to corrupt our relationships with God and with others. Secondly, he uses it to disintegrate any and all gifts and visions and creativity that we might have. His shame puts a dampener on all of that for us. It's such an amazing tool for the enemy to use to keep you down, to make you put distance between you and your God. And if shame derailed Adam and Eve in the perfect garden of Eden, then of course shame has the ability to derail our lives as well. And then something beautiful happens. Even though they had done something wrong, God comes down as per usual. He doesn't sit up there and go, oh, I've just seen Adam and Eve. I told them to stay away from that. They're going to feel shame now. It's about time when I usually go down and meet them. I might just let them wait a bit longer. I hope they just really get to feel and like burn with shame and feel it before I go down and actually make my presence felt. It's, that's not the kind of God we serve. He comes down as his custom, and when they choose to remove themselves for his, from his proximity, he says, I'm just going to come closer. And he walks to them and says, where are you? He calls them to come out of hiding. What is the, sh- the remedy for shame? It's God's movement towards us. 
God moves towards us even when we continue to move away from him. He moves towards us rather than moving away, even in the garden. It tells us that he's not a God that avoids brokenness. That's not who he is. In fact, he willingly steps in to broken places. He's the key to moving from the overwhelming burden of shame into grace and into right relationships. And God knows that there's no healing in hiding. And he wants us to understand that as well. The reality is we're not perfect. We mess up. If you're going to look around this room and look, maybe don't make eye contact with your partner, but you could probably make a list for them of the ways that they have messed up and you've noticed it. Or, you know, you could think of your mother-in-law or, you know, your, you know, your kids, whatever, a teacher at school. We are all in this same boat. My mum's not here today, so I can say that on Neil's behalf. Um, so we are all in this same boat. Sin and shame is something that affects all of us. But here's what we do. We often can pretend all is well with our makeshift, fig leaf, cover-up moments. We might use something like achievement. We might use wealth. We might use fitness. Or we might use perfectionism to cover up. But when we do, we're merely just lying to ourselves. We become the great pretenders. When we face our shame and confess our shortcomings and our failings and willful departures from God's direction, we will find redemption and forgiveness. God wants each of us to be fully known and fully loved and redeemed through the blood of Jesus. Jesus understands temptation. He experienced it in the desert. He understands, he saw many a person who was filled with shame. And he knows that compassion is what is needed in those times for people that are buckling under the weight of the shame that they carry. How do we deal with the heaviness of our active rebellious moments that lead to broken relationship with our creator? How do we deal with it? How do we go? Our natural inclination, well, all right, how can I fix this? We want to run, but oh, there's a time where we go, okay, I, I can't run anymore. This is in my face. What can I do about it? Well, I've got a little story, but this is what not to do. So don't take notes on this. It was fascinating. In the early church, there was a saint that was called Simeon, and he was so very, very desperate to absolve himself from any shame that he might have had um, in his life, and as a consequence, he's like, how do I fix the shame that I've already done? And, and in the process of fixing, I'm so sinful, how can I make sure I don't do anything else? So his first thought was, he got himself buried to the neck in sand and started praying. And he thought, right, well, that's it. I can just concentrate on God. I'm buried to the neck. I obviously can't do anything. So after a period of time of being buried to the neck in sand, he decides that wasn't enough because he still thought thoughts that he was like, oh, this isn't quite right or, oh, no, what if I do that again? It's all going to go pear-shaped. What do I do? So he decides, crazy, I'm going to build an 18-meter pillar and I'm going to sit on top of it. 
So if I sit on top of the 18-metre pillar, like just like, you know, like that, and sat on top of it, and he's like, well, you know what? God will be good with me now because I can't do anything wrong. And he'll see that I'm, you know, paying a really high price for this. Like, I mean, that's got to be awkward after a while, right? In fact, when people documented his life, they say that he was dripping, the way they describe him is he was dripping with vermin. He never came down off that pole. And in fact, even while he was sitting on the pole, he was like, maybe there's more I can do while I'm on this pole. There's got to be something more. So he's recorded there was one incident where he 1,223 times while he's sitting 80 metres in the air on this pole, dips his head down to touch his toes in a row, 1,223 times in a row. It says here (laughs) that where it says, for 36 years he sat upon that pole so that he could deem himself worthy and release himself from shame. 36 years until he died on the pole. 36 years. See, he believed a story about shame that was untrue. And so often you and I step willingly into a story, a narrative about God and shame that is so not who he is. It's not true. It's not how he acts. It's not how he works. One of our greatest foes, like it was Eve's in the Garden of Eden, are some voices that whisper to us a different story. A story about God that is not true. Little voices, little whispers that go doubt the integrity of God. Do you think God wants anything to do with you now? Do you think like, you know, in the Bible where you said all you ha- where he says all you have to do is believe? <laughs> oh, that's so cute that you believe that. They're the voices that we allow to speak into our lives that don't release us from shame because we think we're not worthy of being released from it. Instead of a narrative that reminds us of a loving God who seeks us out, who delights in us, and who has created us for joy and connection, shame tells us that we will never be enough That everything, that thing that you're hiding behind your leaf is too big, is too great. You will never be worthy. But when we recognize those crafty voices for what they really are and who they're really coming from, we can intentionally begin to change that narrative in our head into a gospel narrative that calls us to confess where we have been going wrong and then accept the sacrifice that God has made for us. We don't have to live in hiding. God desires to fully know you. He desires himself to be fully known by you. Shame can dominate in an environment where God knowing all things, knowing good and bad, where we just don't trust that. 
Shame is allowed to rise where we just doubt the integrity of God. And God is saying, please don't do that. I am here. I am happy to see your good. I'm happy to see your bad. I'll walk into the ugly for you because that's why I'm here. That's what my purpose is. That's what the cross did for you. Don't allow misthoughts or misinterpretations of me to stop you feeling the release from that shame. Consider what it means to view God as someone who is for you, not someone who is trying to trap you out, who is for you even in the midst of imperfection. Wesley, the first guy you saw on there, when he was released after his 28th arrest, as he walked out of the prison and shrugged off the shame that he held in that moment, he walked into a space where he went, this is too good for me not to share. He's good at networking. He's been doing it for a long time in a not so positive sense. And he went, you know what? No longer am I going to let the shame of what I've done. I'm past that. But there's a moment where he went, but could this turn out for good? Could the shame that I have felt that I was burdened under for so many years and then was released when I found God, could I turn this around? Could God help me make this for use? And Wesley then after realizing yes, he created a ministry called Ground 40, which is amazing. Go home and Google it. It's in America. It's a ministry where he takes um, specifically designed for men who are addicted with battling all kinds of addictions. He takes them. He's established a farm where they go and they work on the farm. They detox through everything. It's a Christian uh, Christian kind of life residential program where they understand who God is, how the Spirit of God can help them live in the future, and he rehabilitates people. They move from the farm to go into a group home where they help them find jobs. And he even says himself that he cannot understand or believe. It's beyond belief that his life, what was so much shame, for him, he now uses as so much power to help other people. The power of God releasing him from that allows his story to then inspire others and him to provide a place where other people can flourish. And here's what I want to leave you with. If you have your Bible, turn to Psalm 40. Gerard is going to continue on with shame next week, but I want to leave you this week with Psalm 40. It is beautiful. Wesley's healing from his shame was a catalyst for so many others, hundreds of other men to be reunited with their families, reunited with their old lives. And why is it called Ground 40? This is why. Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and he gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. 
Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things that you have planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, there would be too many to even declare. Psalm 40 was the experience that Wesley had. He was introduced to a God that seemed too good to even be true, but he thought he'd give it a try. Let me call out to you. Let me expose to you my shame. In fact, let me take it off and let me lay it at your feet. And the response that he got was a God that turned to him. He heard his cry and lifted him up out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire, and he set his feet on a rock. And he used that rock as a platform to make many rocks for others to then build their lives upon. So the question I want to ask you as you finish is, there's no healing in hiding. God tells us that very clearly. And just as he did when he met Adam and Eve in the garden, he wants to walk with you and he calls your name. He walks toward you. And as we saw in the Garden of Eden, their creator God stepped back into their lives, in their mess, and he had changed from their creator and says, hey, I created you, but I also want to redeem you. I, I can do both. Let me be a part of your life. He wants to walk with you. He wants to be your redeemer. And the question is, will you let him? That's your choice. Will you let him? Will you discard those fig leaves and unashamedly walk towards a God who's calling your name because he so, so loves you? Let's pray together. Father God, we want to ask today that you will put people in our pathway that we can share your goodness with, that they can understand and come to love and know who you are and that your kingdom may be greater as we share stories of how you free us from burdens. Help us never ever to listen to those whispered lies that tell us that we are not good enough or something is too big for you to forgive. God, we love you. Help us to remember that you love us and you are constantly walking towards us because you, as our creator, also want to redeem us. We love you and we cannot wait to meet you. In your name, amen.